0: I'm Jeremy Lasky from Perception. Welcome to the Perception Channel. Today I'm joined with Michael Palma of the Palma Group. Michael is a headhunter, a consultant, a rainmaker, a matchmaker. He's got a lot of different hats and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So Michael, just to start off, where did you grow up and what did you want to be as a kid when you grew up?
1: Uh, That's a great
0: question. First, I'm honored to do this
1: uh, series with you guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thanks for visiting me this morning. Uh, I grew up, I was born in Brooklyn, and like most uh, Brooklyn kids, uh, my family moved out to Long Island. I was raised on Long Island, and uh, as a kid, when I grew up, I wanted to, uh, I grew up at a very glorious age of New York sports. Uh, I was 12 years old, and the Mets, the Knicks, and the Jets all won championships in one year, and as a 12-year-old, you're pretty impressionable. So I either wanted to succeed Joe Namath as quarterback of the Jets or Bill Bradley as small forward of the Knicks. But what I really wanted to do was a pitch for the Mets. That was my, I wanted to beat Tom Seaver. But those were kind of my three idols growing up. And and I really, I couldn't imagine not being one of those three things
0: as a kid. So how did athletics start to pave your way?
1: Well, I think, um, athletics instill, they reveal character and they instill competitiveness. I think competitiveness has gotten a bad reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, competitive people don't need to win. That's kind of the spin that non-competitive people use. They say, oh, he's too competitive. You know, competitive people need to compete. Yep. And. Um, And I think much of what business is, particularly advertising, it's a very competitive industry. Um, So, um, I think athletics really ingrained a competitive spirit. Mm -hmm. So, what set you
0: on your career path?
1: Well, I've had so many careers. Yeah, um, My first career was as a basketball player, and my second career was as a basketball coach. Mm And then one day I woke up and I decided I was going to get, I was going to use my brain, not my body, and uh, I decided I was uh, going to get into advertising. And instead of recruiting student athletes for Holy Cross College, I was going to recruit writers. I really set out on this path to just recruit writers, but that expanded into art directors and designers, and then agency management, strategists, planners, uh, account people, and then ultimately agency presidents. Mm-hmm. You know. What was your first big break? Well I think my first big break, I don't think I was smart enough to realize how <laughs> hard it would be. I was young and naive and I think the, the first big break was um, just deciding what I wanted to do. But I placed a writer with an agency in Raleigh, North Carolina, and it was The fee was more money than i made the previous year as a basketball coach and i think if i maybe if i didn't place that person who knows maybe i would have just given up Mm -hmm. and gone into selling insurance it was a validation that you were on the right path yeah uh, that i could spot a good writer Mm -hmm. and recruit him to a really good agency so um I guess that was a break.
0: If I didn't make that placement, who knows? So when you look back now at your different careers—from from basketball and coaching to agencies to recruiting—how do you see each one as a as a transition into the next, and how they ultimately shape your destiny?
1: Well, I think they're all grounded grounded in relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not gonna recruit a kid to a college without building relationship, not just with the kid. But with the coach, the parents are very important, and then you have the, the influencers around the, the player. Um, I, when I started recruiting advertising talent, there, there were no computers, there was no email. I mean, the fax machine was kind of a new technology thing and people would fax their resumes. Or, but um, as a result, Without email, you know, email has kind of dehumanized us. I was on the phone, eight, literally connected eight, nine hours a day, building relationships, you know, and those people are out still, a lot of them are still out there in the world. But I got to know them. I got to know their dreams and try to help fulfill them. And that's kind of hard to do by email yeah. or social media. I mean, I think we've lost kind of the, you know, I've played some people the last, you know, 10 years. I didn't even talk to them. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of weird uh But you know, to answer your question, I think the, I think the the golden thread that's woven through everything I do and everything I've done is is uh, building relationships and solving problems. and I think once you solve problems, you build trust. You don't build trust first and then yeah. solve problems. But I think the thread is is relationships uh, built upon solving problems and uh, being the kind of resource
0: that people can trust-. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny when I look back on our relationship and we've known each other probably ten years. You know everybody, and you we've crisscrossed the country multiple times together. Yeah. Uh, we've been to agencies from east to west, north to south. and Everybody knows you. Yeah, I think everybody knows me. I forgot about a lot of people. <laughs> I'm so old now, but I um. But it always impresses me that whether it's agencies that have hired you or it's people at those agencies that you placed, yeah. you've maintained and have grown a network that just blows my mind.
1: Well, I'm honored and I'm grateful to have, you know, such good clients and such a strong network. You're, you're I don't know if it's a testament to me being older than dirt, but, <laughs> um, but um, I, I know a lot of people, yeah. It staggers me sometimes, you know, I mean, with LinkedIn now and Facebook, every now and then I'll get an invite. Right. It's like, oh, holy. This is crazy, man. I, this guy's still around there you know, 25 <laughs> years ago, but, uh, but um, it's, sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's staggering and humbling that, uh, you know, I was checking my LinkedIn contacts. It's like 4,400 people wow. or something. You know, I mean, it's just uh, it's hard to manage because there's
0: only so many t- hours in a day. So, after working with all these global creative and marketing agencies, <laughs> What have you discovered that are some of the best practices for large organizations to continually innovate? And what are some things that don't work? Well,
1: I think Woody Allen said it best, you know, um, if, 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 you stop moving forward, you're lo- sharks, you die, you die. Yeah. You know, and I, I think, you know, innovation is a, is a buzzword or cl- cliche, but if you're not const- constantly learning and, um, and adapting, I mean, that's Darwinism, mm-hmm. and changing. I mean, um, you know, my career path was, you know, I had a great run through the 90s with agencies like, you know, with Alex and <coughs> Kirsten, Porter and Boguski. You took and, us there too? Yeah, yeah, we <laughs> went to Boulder, but this was back in Miami, before Boulder, mm-hmm. and I had a great run where I would just send these big, hard-shelf portfolios, and they'd fly people in, and, They'd interview them and hire them, and then all of a sudden, the, the uh, September 11th, uh, 2001, and I had to adapt. You know, my clients like Alex were saying, you know, we need new business, mm. and um, I got all these guys you place sitting around here not doing much. So I adapted, and I figured, well, I'm going to learn how to get my clients new business. So I took four years off on the agency side, wound up running new business at BBDO. And uh, and four years was plenty. And then I kind of reinvented my offering where it was a hybrid business development headhunting firm, and the, the model was to get my client's business and then to staff up the business. Right. So I, I wasn't going to sit back and say, oh, this sucks. The economy sucks. You know, you hear this whole, not anymore. The economy's great, thanks to President Obama. But um, But you hear all the time, the economy sucks and people they don't change, they don't adapt, they don't, you know, sometimes you gotta make the hole instead of filling a hole that mm-hmm. already exists. And uh, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, I started writing, and uh, in 2009 I started blogging. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, it found me, I didn't decide to do this, like I decided to become a headhunter and a rainmaker. But all of a sudden, brands started calling me and said, boy, you know, they said, you seem to know these agencies, you know, better than these other consultants we've worked with and um, would try to help us find an agency. So, um, that's kind of been the path where, you know, um, you've got to not innovate, you've got to change, you know, you have to constantly evolve. Right. And, you know, I just told you my personal story of my evolution in business, but the agencies that survived through the credit crisis of 2008 and nine, they changed. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of West Wayne re- renamed themselves 22 Squared and they made a complete and total uh, transformation to digital and social. Uh, Tombers Group in Tennessee, they were around for 60 years and then you know the, the kid came in and completely transform the agency into data-driven creativity. So, uh, and that's a very, there are two words that I think stand out above all others today. One is content marketing and the other is data-driven. And if you're not evolving toward that now, you probably will
0: not survive, Mm -hmm. whether the economy stays strong or not. So, I learned so much from watching you uh, (laughs) get meetings, opening doors, (laughs) making introductions, Basically, business development and rainmaking, but I'd love to hear you know your philosophy of business development and rainmaking, yep. anything that uh, you want to uh, share. I'm a revolutionary, okay. Um,
1: I think I revolutionized headhunting. You know, when I got into headhunting, I'd call a recruit and he'd say, "Oh, I have a headhunter." and they were under the impression that their headhunter was repping them. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm not gonna be a rep for writers. I'm I'm gonna work for the agency. And it's changed, here it is you know, almost 30 years later and no one says that anymore, I'm repping so-and-so. So So I think I was the first person to tell creative people, like, I don't wanna be your agent, I'm the agent for the agency. I think I revolutionized business development by making the meetings about the client not mm-hmm. about the agency I was the first guy to say we don't want to be your agency you know we have a business idea for your brand and we want to run it by you mm-hmm. and, and well we have an agency Well, we don't want to be your agency that's a great place to start mm-hmm. that's like this guy just wants to help me right more consultative yeah right this guy he wants to help my business I don't like creds meetings you know, I don't like saying these are credentials. And right. I, I think the, so the, the biz dev that I lead is, is client driven, client first. And now with reviews, I think I've revolutionized re, uh, agency reviews, I, you know, um, Coca-Cola last year and a number of other brands. It's the first ever all video RFP out and in where we send a video to the agencies and we ask for a video back, no paper, no binders, no graphs, no charts, no pretty pictures. So um, I think you gotta be different. Do you still
0: make calls? Or do you, I do, do you, you have I do, and I love
1: it. I just love the, there's nothing more powerful in business than the sound of the human voice. Or even if you're a good writer, um, you can write great letters and great emails, but there's just something about the c- conviction of, and the passion of the human voice, but I I realize even to first of all when you make call today it's not cold anymore. You have got right. the guy on LinkedIn, right? You know you you see him on Facebook with his kids and you know you got his whole story. You got his whole. St- it used to take eight phone calls to find out what you can find in eight minutes now, mm-hmm. but you still have to make the call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I have gotten meetings without talking to people, um, but um, that again mystifies me that someone would take a meeting on an email, but it happens um but i realized whenever i pick up the phone and call someone i've got 20 seconds to yeah. stand out and my my job is to make the phone call go from 20 seconds to 40 seconds to 2 minutes and then in 2 minutes i ask for the meeting and then the minute the second i get the meeting i get the hell off the phone because i can only screw it up from that <laughs> point on so they're, they're they're usually two and a half minute calls and if I don't have the meeting by then you know, I tell the guy I'll take him to lunch sometime or whatever. But if you're not gonna get the meeting and do it's never it, happen. A minute, you're not yeah. gonna
0: do it. What are some of the most important elements uh, to positioning yourself as a successful creative agency?
1: Yeah, that's a can of worms.
0: So. And I know we yeah. I remember <laughs> meetings with you where we were beehagging. Yeah and hedgehogging talking well, I about positioning
1: I can't do any better than Jim Collins and Good yeah. to Great. Um, the problem with positioning is it really takes a year or so to do it right. I mean, if you look at the Hedgehog Council, in good to great, it's it's a year or two process. And I've tried to like boil it down to you know two weeks. Um, I'm a firm believer. If you put a stake in the ground, any stake, it's better than not having one in. So I think agencies obsess over positioning. It's paralysis of analysis. Mm-hmm. I've kind of, in the last 10 years, Jeremy, back to, I think it's important to have a, a, you know, a brand and that brand should stand for something. But I think more than ever today, it's purpose driven. It's, 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 it's mission based, you know. I don't, I, I don't really think it's smart to um, tell the world who you are. I think the world should discover who you are, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I think agencies make the mistake in their case studies, in their websites of just bragging, you know, and they mistake that for positioning, you know,
0: and try to find people who um, who share similar missions, you mm-hmm. know. So the, the, the first big break that you mentioned earlier about placing that I think it was a copywriter?
1: As a copywriter and I really didn't
0: know what I was doing but I, I I, thought I did. How did you and how do you continue to spot top talent and what leads to the perfect match of placing that talent?
1: Yeah, um, you know at this point I have an intuitive, mm-hmm. instinctive feel. Gut check. I can just kind of tell by my clients and the candidates, you know, Getting to know them over the years, who's right for who and who isn't. Mm-hmm. I think water seeks its own level.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, horses for courses. I think some people thrive in certain environments, others don't. It's instinctive. You know, I'd love to say there was some secret sauce or I had some evaluation grid or personality. No, no. I, I, you know, I, I, I hear that from agencies. They're into the these testing things mm-hmm. and. Myers-Briggs. Yeah, Myers. I just, I'm really leery yeah. about that stuff. Uh, I mean, I think there's some science to recruiting, but I think it's more of an art. What's the best advice you ever received? Uh, from my dad, you know, I was a pretty uh, high-strung kid, very competitive, mm-hmm. and, and I, you know, I'd get nervous before basketball practice, no less a game, you know. My father would drop me off at CYO practices, and he'd see me fidgeting, and, and, you know, I, I was the best player in the county, and I'd still get nervous at practice. You know, like I wouldn't pressure. I wouldn't play well enough at practice. So. At the gym, they just say "Do your best." I'd say that to myself every day, you know, because I'm every day I'm overwhelmed with yeah. problems to solve. You know, every day, you know, ten people are ecstatic with me, and you know, a few aren't so ecstatic. I'll just leave it at that. Um, and. Pressure is what it is, but um, I just, I'm always reminding myself, and my wife, and my son, and anyone I love and care about, um, when they get overwhelmed, and we all get overwhelmed, but just do your best. And if You can't fail if you do your best. Mm-hmm. You can just say to someone, look, hey, I'm do- I tell my, my you think it's easy, you do it. I'm doing my best. You don't like it, fire me, you know? Um, Cause it's hard, you know, what I do, and it's hard what you do what you guys do. So um, I think if you wake up in the morning and you just say I'm gonna do my best and you go to bed at night and said I did my best, you had a great day. And let the results and the chips fall where they they may. You know, I learned, that was a great thing I learned, was, you know, everyone's not gonna be happy with what the job you do all the time, right? you know? And you have to accept that. You have to do your best, but you have to be prepared to tell them, look, I'm doing my best, you know? And if that's not good enough, maybe I'm not the right guy for you, you know? Or But that's the my dad. And and, uh, and it goes back to when I was in fifth grade. So. Mm-hmm. When did you start playing golf? I played golf at a very uh, young age. I uh, used to sneak off in fifth and sixth grade to Eisenhower. Did your dad teach you? you yeah, teach you? my dad was a guy. I shared balls for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he was he loved golf. And he's still a good golfer. Uh, at, at at an advanced age, he's he shot his age. You know, someday I I hope I live long enough to do it. <laughs> Good. But um, I'm not going to shoot 59. But um, I played. At, I we used to take the bus with our golf clubs, me and my buddies too. But uh, what was then Salisbury Park, it's now Eisenhower Park. Mm-hmm. And then I started caddying only to play on Mondays. Hey, when I coached at Holy Cross, I took a side job at five in the morning, cleaning bathrooms, just so I could play golf for free. You knew
0: early on it was a passion.
1: I I loved it. No no one, unless you're a pro's son, or unless it's like a language or music, unless you started taking lessons at a very early age. But if you just pick up the clubs at 12 years old, you're not gonna be good. I mean, you might be a natural athlete and have a pretty good swing. But you're not gonna be a really good golfer until you commit to it. And I committed to golf in 1997. I joined a golf club, and I really committed myself to it. I went from an 18 handicap to a single digit. But I hit a thousand golf balls, you know? And I took some lessons, but one day you gotta wake up and say, I'm gonna be good, mm-hmm. or I'm gonna quit. You know, the, the, the great stat about the golf business is uh, every day someone takes up the game of golf, and two people quit forever. The thing about golf is if you hit one good shot, you can hit that shot a lot mm-hmm. if you can figure out how you did it. The groove. Right. If you can figure out how you did it. I'll talk, I ain't talking about golf all day. <laughs> it's a lot more exciting than advertising.
0: <laughs> so we'll, let, we'll end this with the perception favorite five. No. Uh, quick answers here. Favorite book? Book, book. Uh, the Great Gatsby. Uh,
1: The Great American, to me, that changed my life when I read, uh, and just the idea that you can make yourself from nothing into what Jay Gatsby made himself into. Uh, It's so dense, and the book is this that it's a hundred and something pages, there's not one wasted word, every sentence is a literary masterpiece, it's so well written, Going to change my life. So I'd say the great cats, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald and Bob Rotella, are my two favorite authors.
0: <laughs> what's your favorite color?
1: I think it depends what day. You know, I have an 11 year old daughter, and mm-hmm. she asked me that. That's her favorite. She'll ask, <laughs> if you meet her, she'll ask you, Jeremy, what's your favorite color? You know, I love gray. I think gray is a great color. I don't know. Um, it depends what day. I, I, every day I have a okay. different Yeah. What's your favorite movie? I think anything by Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm on a Woody Allen binge lately.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, even the bad ones are good. Favorite food? Italian. Phil um, parmesan, chicken Parmesan. I and then the parmesan. last
0: question is uh, favorite saying or quote. What well, would my one saying be?
1: Uh, if uh, If you are what you eat, what am I? chop liver. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Michael, thank you so much. Thanks, Jeremy. It's great talk. It's had a blast. It's great.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me.